Amen. Well, it is good to be back in the house of the Lord. We canceled last week due to the weather, and of course the weathermen were, well, don't get me started. <laughs> I said, I said don't, don't, don't get me started this week in staff meeting about weather and all that type of stuff. So I did pretty good. I did pretty good. But it's so good to be back with you guys, back with our church family in the house of the Lord. We miss our family when we're not together. Uh, so we're so glad to be back together today. But today we're looking at new man, new church. And for truly a church to be revitalized, to truly have a church that as we are looking forward to our relaunch and as we are in the midst of multi-year process of revitalization, of course, truly a new church who requires new men. And of course, as we are talking about men, there we're thinking in the collective sense as we see here in Colossians chapter 3. We'll see the heading new man in Christ, but that's new men, new women. And really we have, as we'll walk through it, we already, those of us who, be, who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus Christ, this is our true identity. So it's not as though, you know, we become believers in Jesus Christ, we become Christians and then we're trying to find this new identity. That is our new identity. We've exchanged, we've made an exchange with Christ. He has taken on the sin debt, the debt that we owe. And he has given us redemption, forgiveness, and he has given us a new nature. So really for the Christian, it is a matter of life that we are on a regular basis daily to live out our true identity. You see, if you have come to your place in life, that place in life that is the greatest decision for any man, woman, and child, and no one else can make it for you, it's the same decision that Christian Vasquez made those nine months ago, which is to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've come to that place and you've done that, you have a new identity in Christ. It's not as though you're trying to live out a new nature of which you do not possess or a new identity that you do not possess as though you are trying to put on a facade. But this is your true new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. That's Jesus Christ upon the cross became sin on our behalf. That we might become, become the righteousness of God in him. We are new men. We are new women. If we've given our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for any vibrant church, we need as individuals, the engine of that vibrancy, the engine of that revitalization is for us as individuals. Of course, encouraged by the whole, challenged by the whole. That is one of the primary roles of the local church. But we as individuals living out that new identity in Christ each and every day. And so as we look at Colossians chapter 3, we see that very calling here. Verse 12, let's begin there. Therefore, Paul is writing, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. We're going to come right back to that here in a little bit. Put on, it's one of these great illustrations, these great word pictures in scripture. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has complaint against another Why, even so, as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Verse 14, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when we look at this passage, as we walk back through this passage, we're going to see four essentials for living out your new identity in Christ. Four things that we're told, four imperatives that were given by Paul, were given actually by the Holy Spirit through the messenger Paul. These are the essentials, these are the imperatives that we must live out if we're going to live out this new identity in Christ. First of all, very simply, in verses 12 through 14, it is to put on Christ. Put on Christ. You see, again, one of the great word pictures in all of Scripture is this uh, picture of putting on clothing, exchanging the old for the new. Exchanging, taking off the old nature like a piece of clothing and exchanging it for the new. You see, it's, it's the greatest choice, if you will, it's the greatest choice of fashion, the greatest fashion decision that we could ever make. And not fashion in the sense of trying to keep up with the trends, but it's the greatest clothing choice that we could ever make because it is a clothing choice of spiritual clothing. Clothing choice. You see, fresh off, hot off the presses, checked just in the last couple of days, fashion trends for 2017. Ladies, did you know that stripes are really going to be in style in 2017? Stripes are going to really be in style. And I'm thinking, do stripes ever really go out of style? But that's what they say. Stripes are really going to be in style. Wedge platform shoes. I guess wedge wedges are different than wedge platform shoes. All the ladies are like, of course. Come on, Mason, you know this. I guess wedge platform shoes are supposedly going to be back in style for 2017. Khaki, lots of khaki, including khaki raincoat style of raincoats. Now, guys, I am sad to report. I'm sad to report. Skinny jeans are still in style. I'm sorry. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the day when they will tell me that baggy jeans are back in style so I can be comfortable again. I have not been comfortable for like three years, especially when my waistline is growing. And, I'm t- I'm, and then skinny jeans on top of it are in style. So guys, unfortunately, the skinny jeans are not out of style yet. But we are called to put on Christ. We're called to put on this new wardrobe, which is the character of Jesus Christ. And again, it's not trying to play dress up in the sense that it's not something that's uh, germane and natural to us. When we've given our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, this is our new nature. The character of Jesus Christ has been given to us. And so we are on a daily basis in the process of cultivating that as we make daily decisions to put on The character of Jesus Christ. And guess what? This character of Jesus Christ is absolutely critical for human relationships. As we walk through this list of things of which Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us to put on. You just think about it. Even if you weren't a believer in Jesus Christ, in some way you could work up the discipline. You could work up the the, the habit in your life to live out these sorts of things, which you cannot which you cannot without the power of Christ. But if someone were to do these things, and to the degree that they were to demonstrate these things, 
what wonderful human relationships they would truly have. Not problem-free, but knowing exactly how to deal with issues of life. These things are critical for human relationships. The first section that we see here in verse 12, he says, tender mercies. Tender mercy is the first in the list of things. He says, put these on. This is compassion. This is saying with your actions and your deeds, I care about you. I care about you. We're going to talk about self-love in just a few moments. But you're saying through your actions, I care about you. Kindness closely related to it is meeting the needs of others through your good deeds. The great thing about this is when we live out this calling and when we put on these, these, this kindness and these good deeds, we are filing the rough edges of any human relationship. We know whether it be a family member, we know unfortunately sometimes it's a church family member, sometimes it's a co-worker, there are going to be issues in life and compassion, tender mercy and kindness, they file these rough edges, they file these rough edges of these human relationships. He says not only put on tender mercies, kindness, but put on humility. Humility is the antidote to self-love. And self-love is the poison of any human relationship. When we are in love with self, and we say in all situations, whether we say it explicitly or we just say it unintentionally through our actions and our decisions that... I am number one in this room and everyone else is a distant second. When we say that, that is the epitome of self-love and it is the poison for all relationships. So what's the antidote to that poison? Humility. Humility. So put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, and meekness. Meekness is not weakness. A great illustration that's been used for many, many years, which is still so fresh today, is the idea of a bridled horse. An incredibly powerful animal that's under control of its master. And we don't like to hear that. I'm, a, I'm not under any sort of master. Absolutely, yes, you are. If you have given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have come to that place in life where you've turned from your old way of life and you've surrendered control of your life unto him. And he is the master of your life. The wonderful thing about it, he's a far better master than you are. He's a far better master of your life than you are of your own. And so meekness is putting ourselves under, under the control of Jesus Christ. And as we do so in the midst of human relationships, it is the willingness to suffer injury instead of inflict injury. Again, human relationships are going to be chock full of opportunities to forgive. They're going to be chock full of opportunities to respond with kindness or to respond with hate and harshness. And we have the opportunity to reflect the character of Jesus Christ by living under his control and responding, responding with grace just as he did so often in his life here on earth. Not only tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, but also long-suffering. Long-suffering, a big word that simply means patience. You have that kind of slow trigger in your life. When you look and you examine your life, do you, find, do you constantly see yourself flying off the handle? Maybe it's not even this kind of overt blowing up, but maybe you're just always on edge and those who are in relationships with you are always kind of constantly walking on eggshells. If, you're, if you don't know someone in your life in which you are walking on eggshells around them, it may be that it's you. It may be that other people are walking on eggshells around you. 
Are you patient? Are you long-suffering with others? Do you have this slow trigger? This sort of second section here in verses 12 through 14 is related to the first, but it especially kind of hones in on this ability to forgive and to bear one another. And that's what, that's what it says. It says, bear with one another. Bear with one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave you. Now, bearing with one another is beyond just this sort of quiet resignation where someone harms you or injures you and you just kind of stuff it down and you know it's really bubbling under the surface, but you refuse to say anything. No, there is a right place. There is always a right place in Christian love and in the character of Christ to go and to speak to someone, confront them lovingly about something that they have done that, that has been a sin against you, something that's been done that has harmed you and hurt you. There's always a right place to do that instead of stuffing it down. But we have to always know and be ready to forgive. Ready to forgive. So how do we do that? How do we bear with one another? We bear with one another by forgiving. And why do we do it? We have to look no further than the cross. We do it because Christ forgave us. Christ forgave us. You see, we're very quick to point the finger at others that have harmed us. But oftentimes we are slow to remind ourselves that we also have sinned against others. We're also sometimes quick to forget that we have also sinned against the Lord. You see, it's very easy because we live and we have lived in sin to forget the severity of sin to the holy character of God. You know, we kind of uh, have this idea that, that our relationship with God is, is merely this sort of playful chase of I'm saying God I'm not quite ready to follow you maybe someday I'll follow you maybe someday I'll follow you and God say hey that's all right that's no big deal now God is a loving and forgiving God but the but but the scripture the Bible clearly uh, gives us this picture that we are in enmity against God because of our sin because of our sin and only when we frame our lives and our sin in that way that we are in enmity and we are in rebellion against God can we see the whole force and the picture and the beauty of his love and forgiveness. He wasn't just loving and forgiving somebody that was just, hey, that's no big deal. We were in enmity against God because of our sin. But yet in the midst of that, he demonstrated his love towards us by sending Jesus Christ. And he forgave us. He forgave us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, with that example before us, with that example before us, we have absolutely no room, nor do we have the right to say to anyone that has offended us, hurt us, harmed us in life, to say that I do not forgive you. We must bear with one another, ready to forgive one another. So he says not only in this first section, this list of these things beginning with tender mercies, but he also in the second section talks about bearing with one another, forgiving one another. But he also in the third portion of 12 through 14, and 14 specifically, he says, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Remember in 1 John, God, when he's thinking of one word to describe himself as he is, of course, giving inspiration through the Holy Spirit to, to John as he is writing his epistle, he says, God is love. That is the greatest reflection uh, in our lives of who God is, is to love as God loved us. 
And as we're thinking again in the midst of how do all of these things play out and affect our human relationships, we, we think of love, and it says here specifically that love is the bond of perfection. It is the superglue of relationships. It is the superglue of relationships. The greatest glue, the greatest adhesive in all of the world is found in a little tiny bug, a little tiny organism that can glue itself underwater to surfaces. Scientists for years have been trying to replicate a synthetic version of this, incredibly powerful, far more powerful than any of our conventional superglues. That type of glue, that type of adhesive, is the bond of the church. That sort of love as it plays out in the midst of our church bodies and our church family and fellowship, that is the bond, the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, the first essential is to put on Christ. The second essential, as it says in verse 15, is to let peace rule. Verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body and be thankful. Be thankful. So the peace of God, let it rule in your heart. First of all, it's the peace of salvation. Again, that enmity with, with God that has been put to rest and peace between, between man and God has come through Jesus Christ. You realize that is the story, that is the heart of the, of the parable of the prodigal son. Oftentimes we'll use the prodigal son to, to, to kind of uh, illustrate a believer coming back in strength and, and renewing their relationship with Christ and renewing, renewing their relationship from a backslidden life. And that's a great p- principle that we can draw from it. But when you look at the whole of the context of the conversation that Jesus is having and the other parables that he tells, the the parable of the prodigal son is really a story of mankind, individual people coming back to their father, their creator, through Jesus Christ. And so we receive peace, peace of salvation. And we receive peace from salvation. Our world could be described in maybe one simple word. There's many ways that we could describe our world, but I think an apt description of our world might be striving. Striving. Our world is full of just striving. Striving to find, uh, to, to climb the ladder in one's job. Striving to keep up with the Joneses. Striving to find purpose and meaning in life. There's such a lack of peace and a lack of purpose. But the salvation of God through Jesus Christ, his son, brings us peace. So let this peace of God, let it rule in your heart. Let it rule in your heart. Let it control your life. Knowing whose you are in Jesus Christ, you are a son, you are a daughter of God. But not only that, he says, you are called in one body. You're called in one body. Not only the global church, big C, but more importantly, as we see the greater emphasis within the New Testament, individual local churches, little C's, just like this. We're not only called to the global body of Christ, but we are called to a local body of believers. Local body of believers. You see, we were not called, we were not called to live in some sort of a cave, some sort of a spiritual cave, but we were called to truly live in community. So not in a cave as a Christian, but we were called to live in community. It was God's primary plan for growth in our life that we are to be involved as believers in local churches just like this. 
Not so that we can just kind of come on Sunday morning and we can kind of come and get a spiritual fill up and just kind of go our separate ways. But we were called not only to be challenged and encouraged and join our hearts together as we go back out into the world to share the good news of the gospel, to lick our wounds of sharing the gospel, to to challenge one another, to, to get excited about the gospel. But we were also called to challenge one another to grow, to challenge one another to grow. We're called to a community, not to a cave. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You were called in one body for this thing and also be thankful. It is one of the simplest yet most powerful things that we can do in our lives to to, to see daily transformation and daily conformity to the image of Christ happen. You see, ingratitude absolutely will rot the heart. Ingratitude will rot the heart. Everything will become an enormous offense. Everything will become a slight if you have ingratitude in your heart. Everything will, will, will be you receiving the short, end of the short end of the stick. Everything, if there's ingratitude in your heart, will not measure up to this sort of ideal of whatever it may be that you have in your heart. Let me give you a very simple thing to do. Take just these, just the next couple of days during your quiet time. Take your entire quiet time. If you do not have a quiet time, start a quiet time. Start a time with the Lord in Bible and in prayer. And during the time of prayer, take this day, take two days to just thank the Lord. Even for the simple things of life. Even for those things that we so often take for granted, food and shelter. Let me promise you, many Christians across this globe at this very moment do not take those things for granted. Let us pray for those simple things. Thank the Lord and thank Him alone. Take one, take two quiet times to do that alone. To be thankful. So first of all, we see put on Christ. Secondly, let the peace of God rule in your heart. But thirdly, in verse 16, let the word dwell. Let the word dwell. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let this word dwell in you. Let it dwell. Dwell means to be at home. Dwell means to be at home. Richly means extravagantly or something that is permeating your life. You know, I often think about uh, the, the, that, that uh, movie Christmas Vacation and Cousin Eddie. Cousin Eddie came to stay with the family. And he came to dwell. He set up shop. He dwelt with the family for who knows how many days. And he really overstayed his welcome. And every bit of who he was and his personality just absolutely permeated their family for a couple of weeks or whatever it may be now here's where the illustration falls apart because unlike cousin eddie who was an unwelcome guest the word of god in your life will become the extravagant guest that not only permeates your life but he abs but the word of god absolutely changes your life Eugene Peterson, the great author of many years ago, said, let the word, as he's translating this, let the word of God have the run of the house. Let the word of God have the run of the house. So it's not as though you just kind of figure out a little portion of your life to to, to stick the word of God in and Bible reading and Bible study just kind of fits into a little portion of your life, but you order your life around it. Let it have the run of the house. 
Let it dwell richly with you in all wisdom. And he says, teaching and admonishing one another. That is that strong challenge of the truth. We teach, we order the truth of God. We draw it out of the scripture and we teach and we admonish. That strong challenge. When we say to our brothers and sisters, this is God's word. And yes, it may be difficult to change habits in our life. But we have the power of God in our lives. And we're conforming to our true nature. Not a nature that is uh, foreign to us. It is our nature. Brother, sister, let us let us encourage one another let us challenge one another let us hold each other accountable to to living out god's word and we know we know life will be good not problem free but it will be a wonderful life god's word doesn't fail he also says here in this in the midst of verse 16 one really important vehicle for teaching and admonishing is the wonderful gift of song. He says, through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now again, these are English translations of Greek words, and we can't find an exact uh, one-to-one ratio, and we don't want to push that too far into context that we have, that we see in our day and age. But what we do know is there's significant overlap. And one thing we know for certain, psalms are obviously the psalms of the Old Testament. Maybe hymns might be something related to Christology. There's differing opinions on what this might be. Christology, just as we see here in the first chapter of Colossians, starting in verse 15, as it's speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. Can you imagine a first century church gathered together and in whatever, however they might have sung it, whatever they might have done, as they were reciting or singing these wonderful words, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. What an incredible reminder of not only truth, but ultimately that kind of strong challenge of that truth, admonishing one another that this is the one that we follow. So hymns, spiritual songs, again, there's differing opinions on what this might be, but could this be songs of personal testimony? But whatever it may be, we have been given a heart as believers of a singing, of a singing heart. We are ones as believers in Jesus Christ that the joy of the Lord bubbles out of us and that no matter what the vehicle may be, no matter what the musical style may be, that the joy in our life bubbles out in song. The joy of our life bubbles out. And he says, how are we to sing? We are to sing with grace in your hearts. So on the tip of your tongue, at the front of your mind, every bit as we are singing to the Lord, no matter what the style may be, no matter what the the, the form may be, that we are singing with grace in our hearts, knowing that every good thing that we have from God, it is from Him. It is by His graciousness. Singing with every, with good grace in your hearts to the Lord, remembering that it's not about us, but it's about Him. So we are to put on Christ. We're to let peace rule in our hearts. We're to let the word dwell richly in all wisdom. And we are to do all, to do all. Fourthly, we are to do all, all things, all things, all things in his name. Do all things in his name. He says here in verse 17, verse 17, and whatever you do, 
whatever you do, whether it's go to the grocery store, whether it's share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone, whether it's study the Bible, whether it's go into work each day and faithfully uh, execute uh, your function and what you've been called to do, whatever it is, whatever it is, do it all for the glory of God. In word or deed, he says, in word or deed, not only that's an outward expression, but also an outward expression that expresses the inward uh, focus of your heart. It is all that is you, every bit that is you. Whether you believe you're doing something lofty or whether you believe that you're just doing something germane to life, do it all for the glory of God, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Gratitude through Jesus and because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice for us. You see, whatever it is, we do it all for his fame, his glory, and not for ours. And not for ours. So folks, as we continue this process of the local body of Christ, of revitalization in our midst, the most important newness, the most important newness that can take place in the midst of this church body, above all things, before any new strategy, before any newness, the most important newness that we need is for each of us who know Jesus Christ to live out the character of the new man, the very character of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, may we do that. And as we know, we're not living, for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we're not living out a nature that is not our own. We are living out a nature that has been given to us. It is the new man. We know that that we've been made new. It's just a matter now of living out with your power daily the character of that new man. And so God, I pray that in the midst of this church, we would see a great revival in our midst that starts with us as individuals. God, if there is sin in our lives, may we confess it unto you. Lord, if there's bitterness in our life, may we confess it unto you. Lord, if there's unforgiveness in our life, may we confess it unto you. Lord, if there's gossip in our life, may we confess it unto you. If there is lust in our heart, may we confess it unto you. Lord, whatever it may be that stands in the way of a revival in our lives and living out the call of a new man in our life, Lord, may God, you give us, you give us the strength. May you bring conviction into our lives about it. May we truly see a, a renewed life and a newness in our midst. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.